right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And fired up. We got Terry Fair on today. And he is a regular, man. This guy has been on the show as many times as we have. All right, maybe not that many. Uh, but, dude, this guy is a wealth of knowledge. Every time we have him on, we find out all kinds of cool stuff. Rattle the cage a little bit. Make you guys better uh, on the flip side. Because, honestly, if you could pick up a little info, a little data, a little stuff you can take to the track and try out, then we're all better for it, man. Uh, excited about today, Kev? Absolutely, man. Vorschlag Motorsports. That's what Terry Fair is all about. And uh, I've been tracking him for years and years. He, he was kind of one of the pioneers uh, when swaps came around, you know, especially like LS swaps, uh, and really putting together combinations of vehicles, powertrains, uh, all the suspension parts, the brakes. He has that holistic, high-performance mentality. And, and he brings like that kind of engineering side to it where... Um, you know, he's very methodical. He's, he's collecting data. He's really learning. Every time he goes to the track, he's got tons of customers going to the track. This guy can make just about any vehicle fast. And we want to pick his brain today about, you know, at least one or more uh, platforms that he's been, you know, racing, you know, adding performance to and, and get some tips and tricks on, you know, what does it take to get your ride, you know, in that circle, that winner circle or near it, competitive, or just go out there and have a blast. Yeah, man. I think it was Kobe Bryant that said, perform like like you've never won uh, or practice like you never won, perform like you never lost. Um, and, and, and Terry, he does that, man. He goes out and tries to find, um, you know, little inklings of a second, right? It's amazing how long a second is in, in an autocross or a, or a, a road race. Uh, it's really, you know, uh, coming from the motocross side, racing pro motocross for a long time. Uh, believe me, man, I'm well aware of it. Uh, just the number of autocrosses and, and drag racing I do. There's a lot of time inside that one second. He has found ways to shave off a, a little part of a second here a little millisecond there, and all of a sudden you're coming back and your your lap time is getting faster. Um, people are curious as to how you continually push the envelope, and, man, he's got a lot of t- just tricks and a lot of skill behind the wheel to, to make it all come to fruition. Yeah, and he really kind of tears apart, in a sense, uh, any of the OE, what they deliver, and figures out where the weak points are, how to upgrade them. And, he's, and it's all about the who's who of 
you know, sort of your performance vehicles, whether it's your uh, Camaro Corvettes, your Mustangs, you know, your Honda S2000s, you know, uh, anything in that Nissan 370 world. Of course, you know, you got the Subarus, uh, your VW Golfs. I mean, this guy's kind of got all those handled. So if you got any of those popular rides and they're pretty fast, but you want to go faster, you want to go better, uh, check out their website, hit up Terry. And Terry, man, thanks for coming on the show, man. You're always uh, an amazing guest because you kind of bring this wealth of knowledge um, and it's a whole lot of fun kind of pulling it out and having having some of these deep discussions. And I think our, our viewers, along with ourselves, are, are learning quite a bit. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun. Good to be back. So, Terry, let's dive into some some racing you did this season. Um, it, it's amazing. After so many years of racing, you can come off a season and go, damn it, I learned a lot. I learned what not to do, which is typically in racing. Uh, that's one of the best takeaways. You can learn what not to do and, and how not to break uh, or how not to mess up on a lap, you know, uh, which I'm sure uh, you could dive into. What, what are some things you picked up uh, yet again, just tearing the tires off of it this season? Yeah, I mean, last uh, 22, I went to the track or autocross 30 different times. Um, and it's, it's like riding a bike. You just, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And practice makes perfect. All those things, all those ad hominem things is, is true. Um, and a lot of days I went out there by myself with a car, nobody watching. There's no clocks. It's just me running against my clock in my car and, and working on little things and testing things that our crew here in the shop developed and trying to break them and trying to make the car better, more reliable, faster. And yeah, you just there's nothing beats seat time and actual measure testing. Amen to that. Amen. How many different platforms have you, let's say, tracked, raced, autocrossed oh, God. over the years? And, and what are some of your favorites? Man, I, I started out in the Fox Mustang. I had about six of those uh, in my early years, the late 80s in college and high school. And okay, uh, Terry, we all make mistakes. To... Yeah. <laughs> That's why racers have pencils. Uh, it's okay. I hear you. I hear you. Now, they, they were awful cars. They're just god-awful. Uh, and they taught me a lot about driving around problems and fixing things. Uh, third gen fortune Camaro's had six or seven of those got into Corvette C4s. Um, and then kind of once Vorschlag started in 05, I had a brand new C6, uh, Z51 that we bought the day those cars came out and it was great. But I realized for my business, I need a car that handles pretty badly because the worse it is from the factory, the more we can improve upon it. So I had to sell that car and get into strut cars. That's when I got into BMWs and, and you know, started our spherical top mounts that we make for different coilovers, started selling ox. And the worse the car is, the gains we can have. So I still to this day buy a lot of terrible cars on purpose, you know, Mustangs. And we bought a brand new BRZ um, because I know it can make. 90 second road course if i can find 10 seconds of time that's a huge thing on a corvette it's hard to find you know small gains because it car it starts out as a really good car uh but uh, you're saying that even though the the c6 corvette corvette's been out almost 20 years uh we bought one two years ago thinking oh we'll have fun this will just get us some seat time and we still found a lot of things that we could improve upon that the african hadn't gotten right or could do better that the oems definitely didn't get right so yeah i've i've done a whole variety of Subarus. And I mean, I've probably done 40 different platforms because we make camera plates for 40 different chassis and generations of cars. And I've driven all those and more. Um, and uh, customers have me drive their cars and I'll do some testing with them. I've done some coaching, um, you know, instructing for 30 years at HPDEs and done time trial classes and autocross classes. So I get to drive a lot of different cars 
And most cars are pretty terrible. <laughs> and that's great for the aftermarket. It gives us a lot of things to fix. Uh, but yeah, it's been a wide variety of cars. Well, look, Terry, I'm, I'm not giving you a round of applause until you win an autocross course in a Buick Century with a 3.4 liter in it. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, you, man. Hang on, we got to take a break. Uh, we are going to come back, pick his brain, because this guy has all kinds of knowledge. He's going to share it with you next on the Two Guys Garage podcast. Kevin Bird and Willie B, we're back after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We got Terry Fair, Vorslog Motorsports. You got to find them online, man. These guys are just killing it. And this guy kills it in every autocross, every road course he is. Terry, uh, when you first got behind the seat of a car and, I don't know, was it what was it that made you smile, man? What was it that got you hooked um, you know, and, and made this kind of your career path? In high school, um, I was – drag racer and just going straight was a blast and i love power i've always been addicted to acceleration uh, and i happened to be driving through college station in uh spring break one year and um yeah i rode through with somebody in an autocross and a bunch of v8 powered cars and i'm like oh this is cool as hell i mean i'm doing braking and lateral and acceleration all that thing it was just such an adrenaline rush uh drive around a parking lot never going over 60 miles an hour and i was like oh this is this is what i got to do and that's that's kind of where it started my motorsports career i guess uh, and i went to uh, college there at, at texas a&m and met a bunch more racers and kind of got hooked up in that sports car club we had 150 student members and it just kind of blew up from there and my engineering strictly quickly became motorsports related nice now terry i got a question for you you, you mentioned before the breaks uh you know strut type cars versus, you know, on a Camaro or sorry, Corvette, you got your double A arm. What do you find is sort of the biggest differences there? So in a, in a double A arm, um, we actually just kind of did a little diagram on our uh, two guys garage TV show recently, uh, talking about how you can get, you know, negative camber gain, uh, fairly easily with, you know, a short arm, long arm type setup. Sure. Uh, so when you're getting body roll, right. And your wheel wants to kind of camber out, uh, if the geometry is set up, right, you can kind of camber in and kind of you know, at least bias yourself towards where you want that tire to be as you're, uh, you know, deflecting everything and it's starting to roll over. Uh, with the, you know, with a strut, you don't really have as much camber change, I believe, but that's where we maybe set the static camber in um, a little bit more heavy. I mean, exactly. You're right. You're right on the right path. Uh, a double ARM SLA on paper is far superior and the camber curves are better as the suspension compresses more, it gets more negative. So as you're turning into the corner, the tire is gaining negative camber 
at a faster rate than it would with a McPherson truck car. But that being said, in a typical McPherson truck car, we'll usually run about a degree more of negative static camber so that dynamically it never gets to zero. It never goes positive because uh, a modern radial tire wants a little bit of camber, negative camber, even fully loaded in a corner. And I'll pay uh, photographers at every event I go to where they're at to get pictures of my car. I, I pay them in advance and say, make sure you get my car mid corner because I want to see what the outside tires look like, the front, the rear. And that plus some data and a lot of testing helps me dial in camber. Uh, so yeah, I make a strut car. We will dial in more. And what are you what are you looking for? What do you, explain what you're looking for? Obviously, some tyro that camber, or things like that. But when you're, you know, I've seen some of those photos, and I know I got a couple of buddies that take photos like that for NASCAR and run back different teams' yeah. photos. Here's what their car is doing. Exactly. Uh, what are you specifically uh, looking at right out of the gate when you find those those pictures? Yeah, and when I talk to the photographers, they generally know, and I always work with the same three or four guys in Texas. And they know I want to see the outside tires loaded up in a corner or coming in under brakes. And I want to see how the chassis is doing like under brakes. I don't want to see too much brake dive uh, under acceleration. I don't want to see too much squat, but in a corner, I want to see the outside tires. Like if I'm turning right, I want to see the left side tires loaded up uh, corner entry, mid corner, corner exit, and make sure the tires are not showing too much negative camber, but most importantly, no positive camber. Um, so that's as the tire rolls more, if you get into a positive camber situation, the tire is just not doing all the work that it can do and everything we do in the suspension, uh, to, to make that tire more efficient to make it work that corner and under corner exit under braking as efficiently as possible. The contact patch, you know, it's the size of your fist and there's four of those attached to the car to the ground. That's all that matters to me. I'm doing everything I can to maximize that contact patch. And if the car's rolling too much and the tire's rolling on the wheel or going into positive camber, that contact patch is getting narrower, smaller, uh, and can do less work and have less mechanical friction. So everything I want to see in a picture, uh, and you could do it with some uh, carefully placed cameras, and you know, uh, especially for high-speed cameras, you can see that too, but it tells me so much. Uh, and it lets me know that I'm getting everything I can out of that tire for that given car. Now, it's a little hard to do when you're solo, but yeah. do you ever um, you know, like use a pyrometer, pyrometer and kind of measure tire temperatures and such? Exactly. Uh, and there's three or four different ways to do pyrometers. The best way is a full spread uh, array where you're looking at tire temps real time. And then if you have that log with your data from your GPS lap timer and your video, you can just look at the data of the tire that's loaded in the corner. Because what it does on the straightaways doesn't matter. It, and it will drop 10, 20, 30 degrees on the straightaway. So you want to see the spread of tire temperature on the loaded tire as it's cornering. And you want the inside, middle, and outside temperatures as even as possible. It's hard to get it perfect. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the right way to do it. In reality, I'm usually running into the pits and I'm using a pyrometer quickly. I come in on a, on a hot lap, don't take a cool down. I come in, I jump out, I take you know pyrometers. If I have somebody there with me, it's even easier and that works pretty well. But again, the tires cool off so quickly that it's hard to get those numbers that if you have a full spectrum array, infrared uh, sensor, you can see that and then look at the data and go, oh, wow, really, my, my camber's off, my toe is off, tire pressures are wrong. Uh, it helps set those three things. Nice. Yeah, this is the kind of right data-oriented approach that I really like about you know how kind of Terry goes out to the track. And, you, you know, because anybody can kind of, Bill it up something, polish up something, and call it a go fast sure, part. Yeah. But 
you know, it's really about track times. It's really about, you know, kind of that engineering approach to it. Yeah. That's the toughest thing to tell people. They want you to sell them something that'll magically make them faster. And yeah, great. I want to sell you suspension, but not if it's, if it's not going to be used correctly, if you're not going to adjust it and test it, it's, it's kind of pointless. So a lot of days of, of those 30 days, I was at the track last year, probably 15 of those, I was by myself and I was out there for several hours and I was just making laps, trying different things, go in the pits, make a change, go out, make some more laps, um, change pressures, change camber settings, change shock settings, things like that. Well, tell us a little bit more about the C6 because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, that car out of the box is already kind of so up there on the charts. It becomes so much more difficult to make it faster, better. But you've gone out there in the last couple of seasons here and and really, you know, rung it through the ringers and figured out, hey, where are the shortcomings and where have you been able to find, uh, let's say, weak points and, and, and areas to improve? And how did you keep it from eating off front tires, yeah. man? Because I had a C6, and they tear front tires off, man. They're just brutal on front tires. Yeah, for the front tires do take a beating, and that's because GM, like most automakers, runs a staggered width. So they run a narrow front tire and a fat rear tire. Like the, the C6 Z06 and Grand Sport, they have a 285 front and a 335 rear on a 12-inch wheel. So they, they do that, even the base model cars, they have a really skinny front wider rear to ensure that they understeer because that's easier. And the lawyers and, and, and bean counters don't want people, you know, getting the car neutral or too loose where it oversteers because that's where people crash. Cause they, what do they do when the car oversteers, they lift and they go off. But if you understeer, it's safe. If you lift and get on the brakes, it tends to bring the front end back in control. So yeah, that's the first thing we do is we go as wide as possible on the front wheels to try to, you know, even out the mechanical how wide can you go on those? And, and granted, you know, it's a matter of how much fender clearance. And so you can grand sport, you can, you know, you can flare and do other things, but, uh, from, you know, obviously you have to have clearance internally against the frame rails, et cetera. So how wide a front can you get? Cause if you're running a 335, 345 on the rear, um, can you get significantly larger? Yes. C6 has a narrow body. Uh, which is the base in Z51. And then there's the wide body, which is the Grand Sport uh, Z06 and Z01. The wide body cars, we've run as wide as a 12-inch front wheel with 335s and a 13-inch wide rear wheel with a 345. That's pushing the limits, getting a little bit of wear on the inner fenders. That's kind of normal. Um, so we can go really big on the wide body cars. The challenge we had on our 06, our narrow body car, was trying to fit a 315 at both ends. And it was a challenge. Um, and we ran a narrower 11 inch wide wheel on the front with a 315 and a 12 inch wide rear uh, with uh, the same 315 tire on the rear. And the, the modern 200 treadwear, you know, 315s are pretty big. It's 12 inches of the tire. So it was, it fit better on that 12. It took every millimeter and nobody had good specs for this. No one, I hadn't seen anybody with an air body be able to fit a 12 inch wide wheel and a 315 on the back, but we did. Um, sometimes you got to gravitate towards the fast tire that's available. And then that tire 200 treadwear range that we were racing in and uh, SCCA time trial, it was 315 and we just made it work. It was, it rubbed a little on the inside, but it just, sometimes you just got to let it eat and it just wears through a little bit of plastic and it's okay. All right. Before we go to break, man, what are some other moves that you made that really dynamically changed the overall performance of, of that C6? Uh, shocks and springs. Uh, the factory suspension on all C6s and C5s and C7s is a transverse leaf spring front and rear paper. It's, it's a nice setup. 
in reality, it doesn't have enough spring rate. And the car had so much brake dive and so much body roll. It felt like I was driving around a parade float. When I put better tires on it, it only got worse. So we went to coilovers front and back. We found a, we played with spring rates until we got something to where the car was a lot you know, flatter and cornering. It didn't have the brake dive. It didn't squat so much. So shocks and springs were huge. And then getting enough camber, surprisingly, uh, we got all the camber you could get without grinding on the subframe. And the car wanted a little bit more, but we made a pretty good, good stride hey, there too. When we come back from break, can you walk us through which one of those you do first? Do you do a lot of changes? To Because I typically make one change, then go out on the on the track, feel it out. I feel like if I changed a lot of things, it would just mess me up, but I wouldn't know where to start. Can, can you walk us through some of the changes sure. you make and, and what you saw uh, in those changes and in, in reaction in the car? Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, we get back from break, I'll go through that too. All right, Vorsog Motorsports, you guys. Two guys right at the podcast, Kevin Bird, Willie B, Terry Fair. We'll be back right after the break. It is the Two Guys Right podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We're talking to Terry Fair, Vorsog Motorsports. Terry, can you spell that for everybody? That's V-O-R-S-H-L-A-G. Exactly what he said. <laughs> S-H-L-A-G. Um, now... Terry, before the break, we were asking you what kind of moves did you make on your C6 that really had a, a big, you know, dynamic change in how the car felt out on the track. And can you give us an example of where you've seen these changes, you know, improve other people's cars uh, with the same kind of or type of approach? Yeah. So the way I do things is probably not the way your typical racer would. If they saw like I bought a C6 and I want to race in this class, you go for the big stuff first. You go with full suspension, you know, coilovers, and then you do brake pads and then you do wheels and tires. And then you start fine tuning. That's the bulk of it is those three things. But I started out and I typically do these forum builds. I've been doing this for 25 years and I'll start and get a baseline lap, totally stock, stock pads, tires, just awful, not, not aligned to anything. And I get a baseline lap and I see, and I can kind of show you, hey, I started out and at this track, I ran a 128.7 bone stock. And then I come back and do small changes. And I did a kind of a moderate wheel and tire, went to a, a 275 on a 1910. And I found, you know, a second and a half. And then I come back and test three and I changed alignment and brakes. So I do these small iterative changes like you were talking about, Willie, to kind of show people, hey, this is what this mod does. Again, I could have skipped of the 14 dedicated track tests I did in this car over two years, not including racing. Um, I did these one small change iterative test to show, hey, when I got to wheels and tires, it was this much. And when I got to, I had we had some problems with the ABS. And so we fought that for a little bit longer than I wanted. We probably fought that for nine months. Um, and then once we finally had that sorted, we did coilovers and it was a big, big drop. And then I went to the wider wheel and tire and it was another big drop. And then we just kind of fought the brakes for a little while and finally upgraded two or three times to a better braking system. Uh, and we've started getting into some, uh, some real gains. And, and at the end, I think I found about 11 seconds on a 90 second course. So I still wow. found the big drop that we're used to seeing even as good as a Corvette starts with, this was a base model car. It had the worst of everything. It wasn't even a Z 51. It wasn't a Z 6 Yeah. But 11 seconds is unbelievable dude that is you put bus links on fools bro yeah bus links and it was it was fun seeing the worst c6 they made you know it was still a six-speed manual so it wasn't an automatic convertible or anything but the worst option package you could get and see how far we got and then competing against guys and z06s and on hoosiers and 
generally beating them pretty handily. So that was, that was quite fun, but it, I took extra steps just to show people, Hey, we're testing everything and put sway bars on, do a test, you know, change the camber, do a test. And uh, people like seeing that they like following these build threads. Like I think that's how Kevin found us, you know, 20 plus years ago was a build thread. And we were doing documented video and pictures at the earliest days of the internet. And I still have threads with millions of views and that are, you know, decades old and we go back in touch. So yeah, people like watching that, but as a racer, you jump in and you do the big stuff first, typically, typically. Right. Right. Now uh, making those same moves on a normal car guy's got that Mustang or that Camaro, um, you know, and it's already comes with a pretty decent suspension. Um, but like you, do you start out just making the small moves or you go straight coilovers, tires, bigger rims, um, you just dive in? Yeah, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing it for customers to see the buildup, I'll drag it out. I'll do it one step at a time. But your typical racer that's already experienced and already competitive and like, hey, he's going to jump to a new chassis. When they call us, we'll kind of see what their competitive level is and and budget and what class you're building for. Okay, the biggest thing you can do, shocks, springs, pads, wheels, tires. That's 90% of it right there. And then you can start finding power and start finding adjustments and camber and, and sway bars, the little fine tuning things. But the big stuff are those, are those big three suspension, you know, shocks and springs. Now, did you find anything on the, the C6 as far as the basic suspension geometry? You said you kind of ran up to the bump, you know, the stop on the, the, the camber. Uh, were there any other things that you felt like, you know, all oh, that any squat or dive this or that, um, that just, didn't quite, you know, get as far as you wanted. And if you think about, you know, you got double A arm and then you got multi-link, right? The rear on a Camaro yeah. is a multi-link and you probably have plenty of experience there. Oh, Do yeah. you find on a track scenario? Cause my impression is a multi-link would be good for, um, you know, kind of a street car that's got a lot more wheel travel to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe even body roll and you're kind of separating out your toe, uh, you know, from, camber and a rear but do you find in a vet that you don't need that if you're fairly stiffly sprung i i actually do miss that so i have several years of experience in the fifth generation i'm sorry sixth generation s550 mustang which went to a multi-link rear uh independent rear suspension and it is leaps and bounds better than the rear suspension on a c5 c6 c7 which is kind of an older you know multi-link but it's not the five link that you're normally seeing that has some good toe correction so some of the changes they made in the later Mustangs are actually a little bit better and they're definitely more durable than what I've seen the Corvette in the rear suspension. The front suspension on a, on a C4, 5, 6, 7 is all really, really similar. And some of the parts are interchangeable and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, I, I still do think that it's not that much better than the modern cars, the sixth generation uh, Camaro and the sixth generation Mustang both have what they call a double ball jointed front end. And it has some, some really neat aspects instead of a lower control arm. That's like an A it's two separate arms and they mount at the spindle on two ball joints. And it makes for some geometry changes that are really nice. And so they've kind of caught up. It's they're all much heavier than a Corvette. They're usually four five, 600 pounds heavier. So they're never going to be as fast as a Corvette because it's a dedicated sports car, two seater. Um, but the rear suspension on the C6 is, is fairly rudimentary. It's, it's a lot of carryover from the C4. Um, and we did run into some limitations on how much camber we could get out back. And it was kind of frustrating. And for the class we were running, I couldn't really start slotting and grinding on uh, subframes, but 
that was the next thing is I, it needed more camber out back. Um, it was starting to get some shoulder wear on the tire. So I would have done that. So what did you feel? What did you feel differently between that multi-link, let's say Camaro Mustang rear to a double A arm? Cause that was the standard just a few years ago before they got right way more complicated. So what are you actually yeah. noticing on, on ability there? It's a subtle thing, but especially going from an S197 Mustang, which is a stick axle uh, and a traditional strut up front. Going from an S197 to an S550, they have about the same horsepower. They have a, almost exactly the same weight. The S550 is so much easier to drive, in, even in stock form. It, you can get away with um, you know, running over curbs, and, and it doesn't, you know, the, the toe change it does when you lift off throttle, it makes the car just more stable and easier to drive. And I kind of, don't feel that as much in the back of the Corvette. It's not as advanced. It's a much older rear suspension design. Even though it is independent, it's not the multi-link, the modern stuff that a modern BMW uh, and, and you know some of the other Mustang six-gen Camaro have is far superior in the rear. Uh, and you know the C8 has gone off in a completely different direction. It's mid-engine and super heavy now, uh, but there it has some pretty good things too. Hey, I, I got a question, man. Um, you keep mentioning classes. Have you seen big changes in certain classes? Like uh, when I go out to uh, my local track, you know, out here in Colorado, um, you know, they'll have, uh, for example, my old muscle car class I, I race sometimes, taking the old muscle cars out there. That's always uh, fun to play in those. What are you seeing as far as classes and changes and evolving uh, courses for, for people that want to get in on this? Yeah, muscle cars are seeing kind of a, a resurgence. Um, you know, we had the pro touring era that kind of came out with Stylo and some of that stuff 25 years ago. And, you know, with Optima and good guys and, and even SCCA having their cam classes, there's a lot of great places to race. And just in 23, uh, we saw some big changes within the SCCA uh, and some other groups that are finally allowing real aero on the old muscle cars. And that's exciting. Uh, but you can race in classes where that's not needed. Uh, there's a ton of options from the aftermarket for modern suspensions under first gen, second gen Camaros and some other cars that are exciting. Uh, there's some guys even doing the, the first gen Mustangs now. Um, so there's a lot of cool places to race. There's some updated rules that were badly out of date that we needed to be updated that have been done. So, uh, and modern powertrains and ABS and modern suspensions, there's some really cool places to both autocross and even do time trial. Uh, and race against similar cars. That's that's exciting. It's got to be exciting for you guys to see that too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I can't <laughs> wait. We've got some. We've got some older cars we're building, um, just to kind of get in on this this new wave. I'm really, you know, I'm a child of the '80s and '90s, so I kind of grew up with, you know, early '90s cars and the Fox Mustang and the third gen Camaro, and we're excited to potentially touch on those cars and kind of put our spin, some modern suspension and drivetrains, and some of those. Um, and there's already some solutions out there, but we can, we see things a little differently. We're exposed to a little bit different variety of cars with the BMW and the Subaru and the Corvette. And we want to take some of the best of those things and put them in uh, a, a square body notchback Mustang or a, a third gen Camaro would be super cool. Wow. Uh, can you give us any insights on what you're thinking? I, you know, getting power steering, you know, getting rid of power steering pumps. We do that to every car we can. I do electric steering racks or electric steering columns. ABS swaps from the modern Mustang can be made to work on anything for junkyard prices, uh, which can transform a car. 
the third gen Camaro and the fourth gen both had a torque arm suspension. That was a holdover from the sixties. There's much better suspensions we can do an IRS in the back of one of those or a Fox would be super cool. Um, and just cause, cause those cars, the best part of those cars were the, the, the body lines and that, you know, that classic kind of a rad, uh, you know, nineties style is really making a comeback, but that suspensions and brakes on those cars were just terrible. And of course the drivetrains, I mean, 215 horsepower five O seemed cool back then, but it's slower than a minivan today. So, uh, my 22 Maverick in bone stock form is quicker than my best stock Mustang I ever owned back in the. Fox body days. So yeah, modern drivetrains and, and, but you get to keep a lightweight car. Those cars were light, light, light. They were 600 pounds lighter in the nineties than they were today. Mm -hmm. So that's, I want the best of both. I want that classic look. I want the modern tech and power. That'd be cool. You're in the right camp right yeah. here, man. That, that's where me and Willie, we're always joking around that we're trying to make every old car basically a C6, yeah. but not a <laughs> exactly. C6. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. Uh, you said something about power steering. What do you, uh, what's your experience with getting rid of it from a hydraulic pump standpoint and going to some yeah. sort of electric assist? Because a lot of those older electric assists that I've been in, I thought were horrible. Yeah. But it sounds like you have some better experience there. We have. You know, we look at it from a hot rudder's perspective and we take the best OEM solutions out there and just try to swap them, make it work. Um, oh, have, so you're using the newer, like E yeah. rack type of stuff? Well, both. We're both using the, the modern powered racks. You can get one out of an RX-7 or out of an 11 and up Mustang. And if it's the widths work and you can get it to fit, it works great. We've made those work standalone. We've also used the powered columns, which we can splice into a, any, any car out of a Prius uh, Saturn view. There's a bunch of those that are $100, $150 in parts. And you have no more need for a hydraulic power string pump, sucking power, leaking, catching fire. Number one cause of underhood fires is power steering fluid. It's very flammable. It's under very high pressure and you get the smallest leak and bad things happen. So I literally will never own a car with hydraulic power steering again. They feel the same. They're, they're lighter, they're easier. And, and when we're pushing a car around, we don't want to start it up for whatever reason, or it's not running. I just turn the power on and steering is like move my pinky. And so we can move a car around without in the paddock or in, in the side of the shop, but having to start it up and, you know, it's just one less thing to break one failure point we're getting rid of. So, uh, yeah, we have a big Facebook group where we talk about the, uh, e-pass electric power assist steering. And we have another one with uh, ABS where we just kind of share with other racers and we found some good stuff and shared some good stuff there and have some videos for that. It's, it's, it's just another thing to hot rod. Yeah, that's that's a big uh, takeaway. Twenty years me, from now, yeah. we'll probably be putting electric motors in cars. Yeah, the e-pass is is great. There's no downside whatsoever. Nice. What what does it take to run one of those? I've I've never sort of torn one down and, and separated it from the original vehicle. Uh, for the racks, there's usually a, a harness we can source to trick it to thinking that it's connected to the CAN network of a modern car, and usually it'll make it work like you're driving thirty miles an hour. So you won't have the variable assist that you would have with a speed sensitive one. You can, there's, there's ways to hook those up. Um, sometimes you can have a rheostat. We had one we did recently in a BMW where we used a, a Prius column and we had it on a rheostat so we could adjust it. So if you're doing an autocross, you turn it way up. If you're doing a high speed event, you turn it way down. Um, and, and those work great. And again, you're talking a few hundred bucks all in and you can make this work. Unfortunately, there's not a very good, uh, packaged kits out there. And that's something that we're looking at because um, we've done it on so many different cars, but that's, that's a, another business. That's a whole nother 
uh, uh, realm of parts. We're, we're still kind of wrapping our heads around some ABS swaps and getting those dialed in. And we're really happy with the results uh, that to not have to spend six, eight, ten thousand $10,000 on a Bosch Motorsports ABS swap, which is expensive. I'd rather spend two or $300 and uh, make something from a modern car that works really well and junkyard swap that thing in there and make it work correctly. And that's kind of where we're focusing in the EPAS. We're doing the same thing. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Right on, man. We're, we're almost out of time. So tell everybody how to find you, reach you, follow these videos and all these things you're doing, bro. Uh, yeah, the best way to find us is uh, look for Vorschlag Motorsports on the on Facebook. We also have uh, Instagram, Vorschlag underscore motorsports, uh, YouTube, uh, Vorschlag. And uh, I'm all over the internet all day, every day. <laughs> so in a lot of Facebook groups and, uh, and writing forums and making videos uh, everywhere we can be. Is it true that a bad day of racing beats uh, any uh, day of anything else? Every time. <laughs> I, I, I tell myself that when I'm at a, at a track test and something goes wrong, and I'm like, you know what? This beats working. It always beats Amen, working. Bro. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. Awesome. Well, hey, don't forget about our show. It airs weekends on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. It's also available on Motor Trend Plus, which is our streaming source. Great way to find us. Thanks to our guest, Terry Fair, Vorslog Motorsports, man. What a great resource. And he really, truly is um, a great resource. You can call him all the time. They have great technical assistance. Just there to help. Uh, he is Kevin Bird. I'm Willie B, a producer, Scoop, and executive producer, Bob Ecker. Yeah, while you're at it, don't forget to check out our website, too, twoguysgarage.com. Share your thoughts with us on social, We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Now, this is Two Guys Garage podcast. It's copyrighted, 2023, Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. And if you like this podcast, make sure you check out Terry's older podcast from last year where he broke down um, anti-lock brakes and how much better they'll make you as a uh, just as a road course connoisseur and uh, autocross champion as well. you got to have... You gotta have ABS, and he really broke down how to get into that, dive into that. And Terry, I'm still gonna call you, man. When I uh, get my wide body almost finished and ready to do that ABS system on it, you're my uh, you're my source, bro. Call me. Looking forward to it, <laughs> man. We can't have you on without learning something. That's yeah, awesome. That's great. It was fun, guys. <laughs> thanks for thanks again. Yeah, very man, cool. Thank you. Well, thank you, Terry. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something too. If you didn't, you didn't have the volume up high enough. So we'll catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Two Guys Garage Podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.